Thank you so much, Alice. Uh, just as we, we start this this evening, I, I would like to show you a short video clip. Uh, now, don't analyse this video clip too much, okay? Just enjoy it. This is kind of teaching on self-control from Sesame Street, okay? So, and you, you'll enjoy this, okay? You'll enjoy it. Stephen, uh, Stephen Moore sent me that during the week, and I just had to include it. Plus, I reckoned, as, as this is my last evening service that I'll be speaking at for five months, that I would probably get away with it. So, there you are. Tonight, as Alice has said, we, uh, we come to the final segment in our Nine a Day series, which is the last on the list, uh, self-control. And as a Christian, in fact, as a human being, 
This is one characteristic or, or virtue that will obviously save us from a lot of mess and a lot of heartache. There are many, many people today, probably quite a few here, who would love to go back in time and relive a particular moment and practice self-control rather than what actually happened. You ever thought that if only I had been more self-controlled? One writer uh, put it like this, if you have it at self-control or are willing to get it, many positive things can happen to you if you don't have it and think you can make it through life without it. You will suffer because of unwise and uncontrolled decisions. Let me give you a few definitions of self-control. Not sure how you would define it. It's one of those ones that we all know what it is. I know what it is, but how would you define it? Well, here's some. It's the ability to exercise restraint over one's feelings, emotions, or reactions. Or here's another few. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. It's restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, and desires. Now, although self-control is last on the list, I, I don't think anybody would suggest, well, it's therefore the least important. In fact, you could argue that without number nine, the other eight are going to come under extreme pressure. If you're going to be faithful, if you're going to remain faithful, say, in your marriage, then self-control is a key quality to possess. If you're going to show and practice patience in a frustrating situation, then self-control is absolutely essential. If you're going to be peaceful in a volatile environment, you imagine some of the situations that are going to be on our streets over these next few weeks. If you're going to be peaceful in those kind of environments, then you're going to desperately need self-control. Or if you're going to be gentle in a difficult encounter, you're going to need to have self-control or else you are going to speak harsh words. You are going to react wrongly. You could say it takes a lot of self-control to exercise the other eight. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Plus, if we go back to where we, we started this series and, and, and Alice has mentioned Galatians 5, you'll recall how this list of the fruit of the Spirit is set alongside a very different list. Paul just doesn't just give us this list. He gives us another list that, that really is starkly different. The desires and acts of the flesh. And, and here's that list again. Sexual immorality. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All of those, all of those are self-indulgent. All of those are clear expressions of human nature out of control, not under control. And so this ninth segment is incredibly important if we're going to avoid living like this. If you're going to avoid this, you need self-control. And in week one, we, we identified, and, and Alice had this verse up, 
But there is this conflict that still exists for Christians between these acts and the Spirit. The Bible's really clear on this. There is this conflict between old nature and new nature. And so, as I see it, this ninth segment of self-control is going to be essential if we're going to avoid supporting and feeding this, these. If you don't have self-control, there's every chance you're going to lose it with someone. Every chance you're going to cause division by an unwise word at the wrong time. Self-control has a profound bearing on these acts of the flesh. So do the other eight segments, I know. But somehow this ninth one seems even more relevant, seems even more pertinent. So the question is tonight, do you have it? Do you have, do you practice self-control? And not just in one specific area of your life. Although for some of us, there are certain areas of our lives that maybe do need to be isolated and do need to be addressed this evening. And we'll consider a few in a moment. But is this core characteristic actually ripening and developing right across your life? Came across this quote during the week. There are men who command armies but cannot command themselves. There are men who by their burning words can sway vast multitudes but who cannot keep silence under provocation or wrong. The highest mark of nobility is self-control. It is more kingly than regal crown and purple robe. Now as we kind of begin exploring this a little more carefully, there's something quite unique about this ninth segment. For those who've been following this series, you'll know that, that most weeks I have tried to anchor almost every one of the segments in the character of God. So, for example, we've looked at the fact that, that God is faithful. God is patient. He's slow to anger. God is gentle. He's the good shepherd. God is good. And therefore, as those who've been made in the image of God, we can and we have this potential to reflect these characteristics because we've been made in the image of God. Therefore, we can be faithful and we can love because God is love and we can be patient because God is slow to anger. But with this segment, number nine, self-control, there is no, in a sense, matching quality of God. God doesn't need self-control. God doesn't need to hold in check any of those evil desires or acts of the flesh. So he, he doesn't need that. As we know from, as a James, that says that God is not tempted by evil the way we are. So God doesn't need self-control. But we do. We do. But let's get specific for a moment and think of when and where and why we need to exercise this segment. One of the most obvious areas relates to sexual desire and temptation. This is one of the big areas with regard to this. Because without self-control in this area of life, we will cause and create all kinds of problems, consequences and regrets. It's maybe why sexual immorality is number one on that list of acts of the flesh. You see, if you don't have self-control in this area of your life, you'll wreak havoc. 
Not only in your own life, but in the lives of many others. In the Old Testament, there are a, a couple of incidents where men of God faced rather intense sexual temptation. One of them exercised incredible self-control, the other didn't. And what's fascinating is that the one who did exercise self-control did it over a period of time, whereas the one who didn't appears to have messed up in a moment. And, and that's the thing about self-control. Sometimes we need it over a long period of time. Sometimes we just need it in a split moment. In Genesis 39, we read how Joseph found himself serving in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife clearly started flirting with this young slave until one day she bluntly asked him to sleep with her. And he refused, but she didn't give up. And in verse 10 of, of Genesis 39, it says, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her day after day. The temptation came. It's reasonably intense, ongoing sexual temptation, but Joseph exercised amazing self-control. David, on the other hand, didn't. Sees his wife or sees his neighbor taking a bath, sends for her, sleeps for her, with her. The rest is history. No self-control, and as a result, lives, quite a number of lives, were impacted, wrecked, destroyed. And certain people had to live with the consequences of losing self-control for the rest of their lives. Sexual temptation is still a very real and live issue. You could argue it's even more so given our increasingly sexualized culture in the context we live in. And in light of the access that we now have to sexual images and ideas and services. I was at a conference recently called Exit, and I know some of you were, all about the growing and toxic influence of the pornography industry. And although there were lots of shocking statistics given to us on that day around this issue, there was one that stood out to me. The two most popular websites in the world are what? Better congregational participation. If you were to ask, what are the two most popular websites that get the most hits? Are, they're what? They're pretty obvious. What are they? Google is one and Facebook's the other. Absolutely. The next most popular website that has the most hits per day is a single porn site. Not porn sites, just one porn site. Self-control of sexual temptation and desire is vitally important if we are going to grow as Christians and become more and more like Jesus. Because the accessibility that is now there for so many of us to mess up in this area is huge. But there are other areas of life where this segment is essential. What about temper? What about fits of rage? You know, without self-control, we will lose it. We will lose our temper. And we will damage people. And we will wreck relationships. We will put them under severe strain. What about appetite? Without self-control, we may put our health at risk. We may even veer into gluttony one of the seven deadly sins what about time without self-control we will waste it the tongue 
without self-control, we will say things we regret. We will gossip. You have that, when you have that opportunity to speak behind someone's back, what is it that stops us in our tracks from saying something that we really shouldn't say? One of the key things is self-control. This segment impacts and affects so many areas of our lives, and without it, without self-control, what we actually do is we leave ourselves incredibly vulnerable. That, that, that's what happens when we don't have this. Let me show you an, an Old Testament proverb that expresses this brilliantly. Proverbs 25 and 28. A person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And one commentator writing in response to this proverb says, In Solomon's time, a city depended on strong fortifications and gates with great walls surrounding it to, to repel incursions by ravaging bands of guerrillas or foreign armies. If the bulwarks, gates, or towers were broken down and the walls taken away, a city was totally exposed to the incursions of the any enemy that wished to plunder, pillage, or conquer it. If a city did not invest sufficiently in these means of protection, it could be easily captured. A man, this is what this commentator says, a person without self-control is exposed and vulnerable like a defenseless city. His spirit is ready to sin with very little provocation and he cannot marshal its power for any real good. He is helplessly, hopelessly, perpetually at the mercy of his enemies, foolishness, lust, and sin, which show no quarter, but ravage regularly his life. A person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That, that, that's wisdom. But how do we get it? How do we develop it in our lives? I wish it was this easy. Uh, here's an app that you can actually get for free to help you to, apparently this, this, is, this, is, genuinely, this is an app you can get for free which will help you to avoid distracting websites, which in it's, it's a great idea. But it was, it was this option that kind of caught my attention, download self-control. And uh, wouldn't it be just brilliant if you could kind of press a button and it would just be a matter within seconds that there it is, got it and just put it into practice. But how do we actually download self-control? Let me give you two ways. Two ways that we, we need to hold in tension. And the two ways are this. God's help and discipline. Or discipline and God's help. Not either or. Both and. Self-control, you see, and self-discipline work together. If we are going to get, have, and practice self-control, we need self-discipline. There's kind of no two ways about this. And I know we have stressed this on a number of occasions, but discipline's actually critical to Christian discipleship and living. Without discipline, you will struggle to develop and nurture and experience self-control. And so, for example, we must be disciplined in developing the holy habits of prayer and fasting and Bible reading 
and meditation and all of those other holy habits. You're going to need discipline if you're going to put those into practice in your life. We must be disciplined in our thinking. What we read, what we watch, which websites we do surf, what we do allow to fill and feed our minds. We've got to be disciplined. That's just the way it is. We must be disciplined in how we spend our time and our money. We, may, we must be disciplined regarding what and how much we eat and drink. Discipline feeds self-control, which in turn fuels discipline. You've got, I hate that, someone say, you've got to work at this. And the Apostle Peter makes the point that actually, and I love this, you've got to make every effort to add this segment to your faith. Make every effort, says Peter, to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Make every effort. Question, what am I doing to add self-control to my faith? How much effort am I investing into seeing it ripen? But of course, self-control is not something, and this is where I'm saying you've got to hold this intention between discipline and God's help and God's help and discipline. Because self-control is not something we determine to do on our own or get by pure self-effort and discipline. It is a fruit of God's presence in our lives. As Christians, we're not left to our own devices. We do, and this is a fact, and as Alice said, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. But we then live by the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers us in order to live in such a way that we can display this fruit. So we're not left on our own. It's not about grinning, gritting our teeth and doing this ourselves. Someone has said, producing the fruit of self-control is not something that comes naturally, as one person who gave us the feedback commented. It is supernatural, therefore you need God's help. But although Paul states the fact that we as Christians live by the Spirit, and what he then says is, therefore, you do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Right? So let's hang on to this for a minute. So we do live by the Spirit, and therefore we do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But let's be honest about this. We do, from time to time, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And that's why Paul goes on to say this. Therefore, we live by the Spirit. Here's the bit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's back to our responsibility. Both and. God's help. Discipline. I live by the Spirit. But here says Paul, you've got to keep in step with the Spirit. And that requires effort. Here's how Gordon Fee puts it in his book, God's Empowering Presence. Life in the Spirit is not passive submission to the Spirit to do a supernatural work in one's life. Rather, it requires a conscious effort so that the indwelling Spirit may accomplish His ends in one's life. One is urged to walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit by deliberately conforming one's life to the Spirit. If such a person is also described as being led by the Spirit. That does not mean passively. It means to rise up and follow the Spirit by walking in obedience to the Spirit's desire. 
We have got to keep in step with it. We live by the Spirit. Now you've got to keep in step by the Spirit. And so with self-control and all these nine segments, yes, we have God's help. We have the power to do this because his Spirit lives within us. But then it requires discipline. Make every effort. One other key part of the, the discipline process involves actively then saying no to the acts of the sinful nature. And Paul talks about this. As we discovered in, in, in the first week, the language Paul uses to talk about this process is decisive language. He refers to the fact we need to crucify, he says, the sinful nature. Which is not just a one-off event. It's a constant attitude. That's why Jesus says, whenever you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross daily. You've got to die to self daily. You've got to crucify the sinful nature on a daily basis because I don't know about you, but I do still gratify the desires of the sinful nature from time to time. And therefore, I need to keep coming back to the cross. I need to keep coming back and confessing my sin. It's an ongoing attitude. So part of the discipline process is confessing our sin and seeking God's forgiveness again. We repent. Yes, first time we knelt before God and cried out to him. But we must maintain that repentance on a regular basis. Otherwise, we will give our sinful nature far too much breathing space. So how do we see this segment grow and ripen in our lives? By discipline, with God's help. With God's help, with discipline. Both and, not either or. Need to finish. Last week, I referred to Titus 3 where Paul writes to him about the fact that we've been saved to do good. We've been saved to do good, says Paul. And as Paul emphasised what that actually looks like, what does that, well, hang on, what does that look like in my life? Well, he makes the point, and if you were here last week, he makes the point that one of the things this looks like in your life is that you've got to be gentle to everyone always. You've been saved to do good. What does that look like? You've got to be gentle to everyone always. In the previous chapter to that, chapter 2, Paul urges Titus to teach and encourage those in the church to be a number of things. But the one thing that he keeps repeating and coming back to self-control. It's really interesting. As he advises Titus what to teach this church, he says, teach them a whole lot of things. But there's one thing I'm going to keep coming back to. And I want you to teach this to the older men. And I want you to teach this to the older women. And I want you to teach this to the young men. Doesn't mention the young women. So if you class yourself as a young woman, you don't need it. All right? But this is what Paul says to Titus. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, to be self-controlled. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, here he goes, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. And that is my prayer for me 
That's my prayer for us. That we will live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age as we bear the fruit of the Spirit. And as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, we will become increasingly more and more like Jesus, which is our calling, as well as our goal, as well as our destiny. We're to become more like Jesus. One day we're going to be like Jesus. That's our destiny. That's where we're heading. But for now, we're being formed, conformed, and transformed into his image, is what the Bible teaches. And what does that look like? By becoming increasingly more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more kind, more patient, more good, more gentle, more faithful, more self-controlled. I do hope you have found this series helpful and, and thank you for those who gave us those comments. But I want us to end with the everyday prayer that I, that I did suggest we use during this series. The daily prayer, for those who weren't here the first week, this was a prayer that John Stott, the late John Stott, offered every single day. So please stand with me. We're going to pray this, then we're going to sing a song, uh, and then we're going to close in prayer. But please pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, I worship you. Lord Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord of the world, I worship you. Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the people of God, I worship you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen.